0: Amen. You go ahead and take a seat, and Pastor Becky is going to meet all the kids out in the center aisle here. She's going to meet them. uh, If you are fifth grade or below, we have a whole crew today, so they're going to have their own lesson time. We are so grateful for an awesome children's ministry here at Table Life Church, and How's everybody doing today? You doing okay? Everybody thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of like, eh, like, you know, after that heat this week, it's been kind of crazy. Glad things are cooling down a little bit. It's August, right? I think I shared in a Facebook post, just under four months, and we will be shoveling. At least here in Pennsylvania. If you're in Florida, probably not, but that's okay. So uh, we are grateful that you're with us, whether in person, online. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. It's grateful. I'm grateful to be here with you today. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series that we've called "Underdog," Underdog, and it's uh, a time that we've been unpacking the Book of Philippians. So the Philippians is a A letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the early church, and it's found in the New Testament scriptures. It's only four chapters long, so if you're looking for a short book to to read to check out, I invite you to check that out. And we've been walking through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, talking about how the book of Philippians really points to this idea that God is a God of underdogs. And that's good news for you and I, because aren't there times in life that we feel like underdogs? That we connect with underdogs, whether in sports or, or in some of the shows that we watch. And, and so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter while he is under house arrest in the year 61 AD. He got in a little bit of trouble for sharing about Jesus, for preaching about Jesus. And he's writing to a church in Philippi. In the ancient world, Philippi was in the Mediterranean region. And this church, this group of followers of Jesus, were being persecuted for their faith. They were being told by the emperor... Nero, that they needed to worship him and not this Jesus, but they refused to do so. So they're all underdogs, but yet they're a source of encouragement to know that God is not done yet. So we're going to start off today, the um, title of message today is The Dependent Underdog. We're going to start off with a little question for you this morning. And the question is, what can you depend on? What can you depend on? I don't know what comes to mind when you think of what you can depend on happening. Um, I do know that Ben Franklin has known that we can count on two things in life, and what are they? Death and taxes, right? Wah, wah. But what can you depend on? So a couple things might you be depending on this year. Will the Eagles have a winning season, or will the Steelers have a winning season, or will nobody have a winning season? Super Bowl in 2022, we shall see. So can you depend on, when you drop a piece of toast, will it always fall butterside down? Isn't that the trick, right? If you're a jelly person, the jelly goes. It's actually proven that that happens. Um, can you count on, can you depend on lawmakers wanting to toll every single bridge and every single highway that is in existence to make money. I know there's been recent talk about the I-83 bridge here in the Harrisburg area. So, but, but think about that. What, what can you depend on happening? What can you, what can you count on? Uh, maybe it's, maybe you're, you're depending on graduating this year or in the next couple years. Maybe you're, you're depending on retiring at age 65, entering into those glorious retirement years. Depending on your investments or your savings or having a big happy family, what are you depending on? But how do you know what you can depend on? Think about that question. That's, a, I think, a better one. How do you know what you can depend on? What is the basis for your confidence? And most times, most times, what we can or can't depend on based on one thing past experience. Past experience that we often trust in our past experiences for our future success, for what will be successful in the future or what we should shy away from. But there's a danger here that any sports team knows when it comes to trusting in past experiences for future success. So I want to ask you, what do the Eagles in Super Bowl XV in 1981, the Soviet ice hockey team in the 1980 Olympics, Mike Tyson in the 1990 heavyweight championship, and in the recent Olympic Games, the U.S. women's soccer team all have in common? Everybody counted on them to win, but they were upset. Everybody counted on Mike Tyson and the Eagles and the ice hockey team and the soccer team all to win based on their past experience, but they were beaten by the underdog, beaten by the underdog. And one of the most dangerous places for any leading athlete or team to be is in a place of being overly confident, in in depending on the wrong things, uh, solely their past as a basis for winning. Because often that leads to letdown and to defeat. And I think that danger is true in every area of our lives when we think about it. It's the company that rests on its previous, its past achievements from a decade ago. It's, it's the student who counts on how they did in algebra this past year for what math they're going to encounter this coming year. It's, it's, hey, I looked really good back then, and I'm going to depend on that to carry me ahead. It can happen in church, too, to say we've always been a, a fantastic church. We have people that are coming to faith. Our programs are amazing. We do these activities that seem to be successful, that we count on what's happened in the past for success in the future. And it's also our spiritual lives, too. See, in Jesus' time, In Jesus' time, there were people that were religious, religious leaders, that we would say depended on all the wrong things. Looking back, it's easy for us to see that, but they depended on all the wrong things because of where their people had been and what they had accomplished and the rules that had been put in place. And the thing is, all of them missed the Messiah right in front of them. See, one of the good strategies, one of the strategies that a good coach of a good team does, is, is is keeping focus, keeping the team focused. And in the last couple weeks, in the mornings, I'll get up and go for a run, even though it's been super, super hot, and I've run by the football stadium over at Cedar Cliff High School and seen football players, believe it or not, out there at 6 a.m., 6 a.m. practicing over and And I see the coaches rallying these guys around to say, you know, keeping focus on the play that's in front of them, running these drills. See, any coach, any good coach that allows their team to keep focus is a coach who convinces their team not to depend on what's happened before. It's a coach that convinces the team and the fans, dare I say, that they are the real underdog. It's kind of like a mind game. And it's not because of the low self-esteem, it's not making them feel bad about themselves, but that the good coach does not want them depend on, to depend on the wrong thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. That's where we're going to go this morning. The Philippians 3 takes, uh, takes the position of a good coach through tough times. Uh, a good coach is the Apostle Paul. So he is going to coach these, this Philippian church through this idea of dependence. And so Paul himself, if you know his story at all, uh, it's fantastic, right? It's, he was a confident person in so many different ways, and he shares that in this chapter. But yet, he meets Christ, and he changes focus, changes focus completely, and his whole life takes a total shift, and he shows us that depending on Christ brings joy independent of anything else, that when we depend on Christ, we can and fulfill. And that personally and also corporately, that that we can receive joy and fulfillment regardless of what else is happening on around us. But we've asked the question, that's an easy thing to comprehend, right? You can just say, okay, well, I just need to depend on Christ, receive joy, fulfillment, you know, uh, together as well as individually. But, you know, things get in the way of that. You know, you can do devotions in the morning, you can talk to God in your prayer time, but stuff always gets in the way. And that's what Paul tackles in these verses. So first he starts off sharing in the first verse of Philippians 3. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice. Can you say that with me? Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in what? The Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. this is the second time he's done this again, a reminder. Because why? Because it's a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you. This is a reminder. Remember the old movie, The Sixth Sense? Is anybody familiar? Anybody not see that movie? You don't have to raise your hand. You're probably, you know, born in the last decade, right? So, so The Sixth Sense, what did the little kid in that movie say? What do you say? The famous saying is, I see dead people. Those of you online, go ahead, type that in the box. I see dead people. And anybody that goes and checks out Facebook later on, they will see, they will wonder what they are watching. So, I see dead people. Like, what is this sermon about, right? I see dead people. It, creepy, right? Wasn't it like a super, that was kind of a creepy movie. Um, you haven't seen it, go ahead and see it. Great thing to watch on a, on a hot summer day. But, but basically, Paul is saying here something similar. He's saying, I want to announce that I see things that you don't see. I see things that you don't see. I'm writing this because this is a safeguard for you. I'm reminding you again that we need to be reminded and isn't that true? Aren't there certain people that are gifted to see things that maybe we don't see? I don't know if you have one of them in your life or you know someone like that. Like for me as a runner, when I start at a race, I can look around and usually I'm pretty good at telling who all the fast people are by what they're wearing, by what they look like. Sometimes I'm wrong, but I can tell. Um, I have a musician friend, musician friend who can predict the next winner of America's Got Talent they can look at the people that are, they can say, that's the one. And they're, they're pretty, he's pretty good at, at doing that. Uh, my dad, my dad, my dad is somebody who can look under a car hood. He can even, and diagnose what's going on. He can, he can even hear a car over the phone if it had, makes a certain sound. And he can tell you what's going on with it. And I think it's the same thing for us in our lives too. Is that we need somebody else outside of us to remind us. To give us that perspective, to say, I see things that you don't. But are we open to it, right? Paul says, I want to safeguard you before the distraction happens, before your challenge to lose focus, and before you're too far down the trail. So let's look further. What gets in the way of our dependence on Christ? Well, the first thing we see is that it's depending on human standards that often gets in the way. So we move on to Philippians 3, verses 2 through 4. He says, Watch out for those dogs. Oh my. Those evildoers. Those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So what gets in the way? Depending on human standards gets in the way. When Jesus came, believers took the message out. They took the message out to the point that they were getting in trouble. And so to to the Jews, they brought this this idea of Jesus, a message of the gospel, to these Samaritan people that were kind of considered the half-breeds. They were kind of half-Jewish, half-Gentile, and people were wondering, especially the very religious people, can you do that? Are you allowed to share this with people that basically have half of the story wrong about about the Old Testament scriptures? And so the leaders, the leaders of the early church in these little gatherings were really going back and forth, especially as all of these non-Jewish people were coming to faith and they have all these different pagan backgrounds and different religions. And they were arguing that, well, first it makes sense that somebody should become Jewish before they follow Jesus. Like that should be the order of things. And there was this huge argument in the early church about circumcision. About circumcision, imagine, it was a pretty tough sell to grown men to say, here's my scalpel, come to Jesus, right? We did that today, I don't think we'd have many people coming forward. It was a big thing. And so everybody's like, okay, what should we do? And so they had this huge conference. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he comes to the front and basically shares that we need to focus on Christ first, not our human standards. Even if we've been used to them in the past, that doesn't ensure the direction we need to go in the future. And so you have these folks that are in the church that are still saying, you need to follow the rules of the Jewish law. You need to follow all these different things. And there's this term that that often we say, it's called legalism. It it means that when we substitute rules for relationship. And maybe you've been in a church before or among people that you would classify as legalistic. When it's all about the rules, right? You You do this, you don't do that, you don't do that. And you follow, and maybe you ask the question at some point, why am I doing this, right? And maybe he was met with some, some challenge, or maybe he was told, like, you don't question that type of stuff. But we do that. We replace human standards for these things. And the result of that, when we depend on human standards, it's a legalistic roller coaster. If you've ever been in that situation, you realize you're never going to please everybody, it's about following all these different things, and you get distracted. You miss the focus on the main thing. And we often depend on human standards, too, of religious standards, cultural standards, neighborhood standards, with your HOA if you have one. And often those things, while they, they're, they're made to be helpful, they get in the way or often distract us from what really counts, what we should be depending on in life. And so going back to those verses, what does Paul call those who depend on human standards? What animal? Dogs. So for all, anybody a cat person here? If you're a cat person, that's a win right there. He calls them the the dogs, takes a jab. So the Jews would often call Gentiles dogs because they, they considered them unclean. And that's a win for us. Um, if you're a dog person, I'll pardon you. Just think of them. He's calling them cats. Go ahead. Think about that in your, in your heart. Um, so verse 2, he says, watch out for those dogs, these men who do evil, these mutilators of the flesh. What is he talking about? He's talking about circumcision here. And in verse 3, he, he changes it, though. He says those are the rules, the standards. But he says, no, we are the circumcision those of us who trust in Christ Jesus, our hearts have already been cut back. We already bear the sign, the witness of Jesus. See, religiosity and everybody else's expectations are things that get in the way, those standards. And he goes on to say, we don't put confidence in being right with God in our own efforts. Instead, we depend on, we count on Christ first. And when you do that, it reframes everything else that you've done. But the second thing that gets in the way is achievement. When we depend on our achievement, it gets in the way of our dependence on Christ. So let's look at verses 4 through 6. If someone else, so that he's telling his story here, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I, Paul, have more. So he goes on and lists these. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, Pharisee, as for zeal, meaning a very passionate person, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, law faultless, depending on achievement. Paul, Paul's saying if anybody, if there's anybody who can put confidence in who they are, what they've done, what they've accomplished, he's saying, I could, it's me. And so that's where he offers this resume of accomplishments, things we usually count on. And these are listed in your notes there. You can go through that um, if you would like. So, so first, we're going to breeze through this part, but write religion, circumcised on the eighth day. So, and that was very significant for a first century Jew. It means your parents did it right. They followed all the rules. You followed the Old Testament law from day one. Yes, we got this. It's kind of like modern day saying, if this were possible, my dad was Billy Graham and my mom was Mother Teresa. Like, can you get any better than that? Not, once again, not possible, but if it were. Right, nationality of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So there's 12 tribes of Israel. This is kind of my little geek out point. Benjamin was a unique tribe, was unique because he was the only son who was born in the land of Canaan. And Benjamin was Jacob's favorite son. So he's from like the favorite son background, like all all back there. So And Benjamin was one of the two that remained faithful to David and his descendants. It's kind of like us saying, okay, I'm a descendant of George Washington, right? All the way back, all the way back, all the good stuff. So right culture. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, genuine. He had Hebrew grandparents, Hebrew great-grandparents, meaning that he was kind of set up. He was privileged in this way. Write education. He was educated in Jerusalem at the Ivy League school of the time. He had the most famous Jewish teacher, the strictest sect of Pharisee in the first century, to say, I went to Harvard or Yale. He write passion. He was so zealous for the law, so passionate, that he was originally a persecutor of the early church, committed to destroying the church. But, but, but then he realized that something was, was up when Jesus Appeared to him. But before that, he was so passionate that he oversaw Stephen, one of the uh, disciples of Jesus, um, later on as Stephen. uh, He was stoned. So then we go on the last piece the right ethics. He was confident in his goodness. Not only did he follow the Ten Commandments, but he followed the whole 613, right? In our world, it's saying, well, I am right with God because I am a good person. See, he's saying he could depend on all these things. He had plenty he could depend on. You know, he's like has a lineage of like Billy, grandmother Teresa, like all these amazing things. But then you ask the question, well, what's wrong with depending on your accomplishments in life? Well, the result is false guilt or false confidence, and I think you and I can relate to that, right? When you're depending on all your achievements, all your history, where you've come from, who your granddaddy is, you know, it gives you a first false confidence that you deserve everything, that you enter into, I deserve, and you begin to look down on people and expect things. Or it delivers false guilt. When you don't measure up, when you failed that exam, when these things didn't quite turn out, you begin to beat yourself up. And you begin to think that, that maybe, maybe I can never be right with God. God, won't, God you know, maybe God loves me, but he doesn't actually like me. Have you ever thought about that? Like, God loves me, but he doesn't really like me. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. You walk around on holy eggshells. That's what happens when we count on human standards. We find ourselves in this roller coaster of achievement. But let's take a look at what Paul has to say about those accomplishments verses 7 through 11. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It's crazy, right? That whole list. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. We're going to come back to that in a minute. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Not what I've achieved, but faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Also gets in the way. When we depend on what's temporary, we depend on what's temporary. Has something temporary ever distracted you from something that mattered? Maybe you found that out later. You look back and you see what you missed and what you lost a number of years ago, when I was in seminary, um, we had to do this thing called a, a, mer- a ministry immersion. And they had, like, these different things you could sign up for um, in school. And, of course, um, I was busy doing ministry at the same time while I was going to school. And um, somehow I, like, forgot about the thing. So by the time I went to sign up, like, all the cool things were taken. Like, there were, like, trips to, like, South Africa and to, like, the... the um, this, the Dream Center out in California and all these, like, great trips. So where did I get to go? Carlisle, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Carlisle. I, but, and, and it was trucking ministry. Trucking ministry. I'm going to have stories to share in the future about trucking ministry. Amazing. Well, um, So I was like, really? Really? I was in Washington, D.C. Really? Like, I'm going to Carlisle. This is fantastic. So I did stay with a friend and all, but it was like 10 days long. And we did really it turned into like one of the most amazing ministry opportunities that I have been a part of. And I'm very grateful for. But it was funny because like towards the end of that that time. I was staying with a friend who was also doing um, the the trucking ministry. She lived in Shippensburg area, so we would I stayed with her. We drove up every day. And I remember like the one evening I think it was like day six or seven. I get a text from one of my colleagues back in Virginia, the church I was serving, and something that was going on and um, we basically got into it over text message. I remember that night like just thinking like you know I had some kind of like snarky remark and then like he texts back something and we got into this whole thing. I remember like the next 2 days tell you what I did in trucking ministry. My brain was focused on what should I say next? And I think something cool happened. I just don't even know what it was during those last two days. I just totally missed out on it because I was so focused. And I couldn't, to this day, I can't even tell you what our argument was about. I missed something important because I was focused on something that was just temporary. And honestly, I believe so many of us go through life missing the greatest moments that we could have with God and the people around us because we're so distracted by the things that are temporary, it seems so important at the time, so all-consuming in front of us. But Paul is saying in a much stronger way: Don't get distracted here. He's saying all things pale in verse eight. Consider consider them garbage, rubbish. Except that word that he uses in the Greek is not rubbish. You know what it actually means? That scubula, scubula. So like, it's a harsh word. It's a very harsh word. So you might say scubula happens. That's what he's saying here. He's saying all of that is scubula. Like to use that the next time you want to like, ah, all scubula, right? But, but he's saying, he's, yeah everybody like we don't go past like the middle school, like the potty humor stuff. I, I, even as adults, we don't get there. So anyway, moving on. So, um, but, but he's saying basically in comparison to Christ, from an eternal perspective, everything else is really scubula. It turns into that it doesn't last see the result of depending on what's temporary is you miss what's timeless you miss what's timeless and and some of us have had that shift in perspective in life maybe you've encountered something that totally changed your focus from the temporary to the timeless and and we realize that what we depend on the most in life that that we can't necessarily count the things that that matter that get in the way there's a, fam- a famous pro runner um, who I, I have followed her in the past. Um, she's now a, a mother, I believe, of two and has since retired from the sport. But her name is Lauren Fleshman. And she's an amazing runner, uh, multiple distances. And she also um, you know, went to elite college and ran for then NCAA champion in many ways. And uh, just a couple years ago, she wrote this letter that was Broadcasts on the, inter, on the interwebs online. And she wrote it, it's called Dear Younger Me. And Dear Younger Me. And she says this uh, this is thinking, think, somebody who's very well accomplished. She says, You will go on to do almost every single thing you could have dreamed of. She's writing to a younger version of her. Not in the way you imagined, not on the timeline you imagined. And when you retire from being a pro runner after twelve years, you will be surprised at what ends up being most valuable to you. Your medals will be in a box somewhere. You'll never look at them. Your proudest accomplishment will be a race which you finished last, because in that race you were tested more than ever, and you were brave. What would you write if you wrote a letter to dear younger me? What would you write to yourself? The things that that really matter? Have you depended on what's temporary? But the good news is there's still time ahead to frame that, to say, hey, years from now, I want to be able to write a letter back to say that I did focus on those things. See, Paul's coaching point here is to say that depending on Christ is the only thing, the only thing that brings joy independent of everything else. The only thing that that brings joy, fulfillment of our purpose independent on everything else. Not to say that others' expectations or doing well doesn't matter, that we should have a spirit of excellence at what we encounter. But when you place the big things first, others fall into place. It also keeps them in their place. Things will try to get in the way of what really matters. But if you depend on those things, you're setting yourself up for significant disappointment in life something will happen that your job, your status, your education, your money, who you know, your appearance, all those things are not going to fix. And it's my prayer that God would help each and every one of us to see what's gotten in the way of the life he wants us to live. Even as a church, to say our our past success does not determine our, our future, that we need to continually depend on God, depend on Christ that maybe he's doing things in a different way. Maybe, maybe we personally and corporately need to let go of a human standard, a false confidence or false guilt. Maybe God is showing something in you to help you see that you've just been distracted, that you've been living for things that, that don't necessarily matter in the big scheme of things. And maybe you've got to let go of that dung. Maybe that's why we, as a community of underdogs, we we make it a point to come to the table each week, to share communion, because you and I, we need a reminder of what we can and who we can depend on, of what matters and who we are. Because here is where the greatest win of all time once began.